Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. I'm very excited to be announcing our very first Hui Investor Tour. I'm taking you guys out to Atlanta, Birmingham, and Huntsville. Uh, check out some properties, meet some people I work with. And uh, for the most part, just get you guys comfortable uh, with the Class B and C locations out there. I think a lot of you guys are going to be pleasantly surprised in what you get for 100 grand out there uh, that can rent for potentially $1,000. So it's be taking place on July 21st to the 24th, 2019. And um, I think one of the biggest draws is you guys get to connect with some of the other people out there. So check out the info page here. We've got some early bird pricing. It's going to be, the price will likely be going up. Um, one of the big reasons I, I'm doing this is because, you know, some feedback I've been getting is, you know, I've sent some people up to kind of connect with my folks and then they come back and they're like, oh, wow, that really makes me feel a lot better. And I, I was able to build a lot of personal relationships with property managers and get a sense of the neighborhoods up there. And now I don't got to go back because I don't want to go back to Birmingham because it's a little boring. So some of what you'll see is, well, you know, we'll take some tours of some properties, some of my properties. We'll even check out some apartments and we'll meet, meet some people. We'll have some dinners together as a group. So that's the big thing about building relationships with other serious and passive investors. Um, the itinerary will be on Sunday. We'll be arriving into Atlanta. You guys are in charge of your own flights because you guys are grownups. Um, we'll kind of rally up in the evening. That'll be the travel day. So rally up in the evening at the hotel. Um, I'll have a little program for you guys. Uh, we'll we'll kind of do a little mixer. We, we're trying to incorporate a lot of fun into this. But the next day, Monday, it's our early rise and shine. We'll be heading out to some properties and meeting a bunch of people. And then we'll try and do a little bit of fun tourist activity, either on the Beltline, which is the um, the old converted railroad tracks that they it's kind of a big linear park upscale park that goes around the city or we'll do something in decatur which is on the east side of atlanta which is where a lot of my rental properties are and you'll see a lot of the gentrification out there also on the next day on tuesday we'll be heading out as a group to birmingham and kind of be doing the same thing there Birmingham's not as fun but we'll have some barbecue out there and then we'll do another um, evening workshop at the at the hotel hotel arrangements will be all at the we'll try and make a bit all at the same site you guys are in charge of your own hotel but we'll make sure that um we'll kind of stick together um just to, it's it's a lot safer and it's a lot more fun and it, and it gives you guys an opportunity to, to connect with each other on the, the fourth day wednesday um your the plan is you guys are going to go out to um you guys can choose your own, own adventure you guys can come with me to check out my deals in Huntsville, check out the location, or you guys, if you guys just want to go out and break out, um, there's a Kansas City and Braves game at 7:30, or you can go see that mythical panda at the zoo. So, um, you know, that, that's the, one of the things why I like investing in real estate. It gives me an excuse to go out to places I wouldn't, and um, you know, do some tourist activities and be able to write it off as a business expense since I'm out there doing business most of the day. So it's going to be a very fast-paced, fun trip um, the idea is get you guys in there get you guys um, acclimated with the location get you familiar we've got a lot of special guests um, a lot of the people i trust and um, they'll be dropping their knowledge on you guys helping you guys out um, it'll be sort of like a boot camp style um, you guys could be able to ask me any questions i'll be with you guys the whole time and uh, make sure you guys hurry up and our pricing is going to be going up after the early bird special it's going to be a little bit of price break if you guys want to bring your spouse. 
Um, again, you guys are on your own for your guys' hotel and food costs, and we'll try and figure out a way to split up the transportation once we get a finalized headcount at this point. Mastermind members, if you guys haven't heard about that, uh, com slash journey, you guys will be getting a 30% discount. Uh, some of the frequently asked questions here, we talked about the hotel. We'll be trying to get a, a block of rooms all in the same place, just mostly, again, for uh, safety reasons. Um, but I want to make the tour very flexible for you guys. So if you guys can only make it on like one or two days, um, that's better than nothing. And uh, you guys will, you know, you guys be into the the whole program of meeting the folks and seeing the right things. Um, but if you just want to dig out and go go to a Braves game, that's totally fine with me. Um, we're going to try and keep the the group size a little small, you know, eight to fifteen people, enough to fit in a van and a few cars, um, just so everybody gets to meet each other. I always try and keep it a more of an intimate environment, um, kind of conducive to uh, to networking. Um, and I personally would fly out to Atlanta the day before or day after. Or if you want to turn it into a vacation and go to Orlando and go to Disney World, that's up to you. But if you guys have any more questions, uh, don't be afraid to email me, lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Check out the website, simplepassivecashflow.com slash tour 2019. And I hope to see you there in June 21st. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. We have a great video version online. We've got the book here. Well, actually, we're talking to Fraser Rice here. And he's actually in the, in the live spirit. Here we are at FinCon 8 2018. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, so you wrote this book and you actually, I gave an interview to four or five guys earlier, guys in the profession, in the professional world, with a lot of the, the listeners here, they're trying to work in this high side hustle. Right. So you are working now not too long ago, can you talk a little bit about that and you know, where did this Sure, so I started out as a wealth advisor, even before that, I started out, I came out of law school, I wanted to be a lawyer, billable hour and I weren't very good friends, so I went to wealth management. Worked for a guy who liked the idea of lawyers as issue spotters and that the answer to everything wasn't no or it depends. Got me in front of wealthy people. I worked at that for about 16 years. Basically, one of the main things that I did was to advise people on their issues, on their tax situations, on their investment management situations, and to help them realize their goals and make sure that they didn't go backwards or have any problems with the markets. That effect, essentially what happened was just about... I don't know, two, two and a half years ago, I got really interested in the media side of things. I started up a podcast, FraserRice.com, was interested in web design and media. And then uh, at the beginning of 2017, I've had some real success with nice clients, brought over some real assets, thought there was some, some stories to tell about. Uh, talking about the 1% and the issues that they face, and put that into a book form that a lot of people could use, and maybe even people outside of the 1%. Or the advisors that advise them could take some of those lessons. So I wrote the book. That was essentially done at the beginning of 2018. I saved up some money during 2018 for successes and launched it in August. And so uh, it went from sort of side hustle or something that helped complement my practice into being more of a full-time thing. So I've, I've burned the boats like Cortez and I'm out uh, generating a bunch of different revenue streams.
market that I'm trying to get my advice out into the public and help them both at the high net worth level, but also lower income levels or lower asset levels, try to take some of the lessons that the 1% have learned and that I've sort of seen in my experience and try to impart that a little bit further down the line. Right. So you guys listening at home still working the day job kind of takes some inspiration here. Like there's a little <laughs> bit of strategic planning here on the book lines and on the book, book at late in the evenings and Oh, yeah. but, uh, it definitely fitted into a bunch of different free time zones. It's something that I spent a lot of time thinking about and trying to prepare those first three months when I'd be going in alone, and then my first nine months, and sort of making sure I had the financial bandwidth to do that. So, a lot of the people listening here, I would, I would call it the 20%. Right. They have very skewed stats here, but you know, a lot of the guys listening are making over 100000 They're not uber rich. Certainly, certainly a generation. I think it's a lot of hard work to get there, starting from your backgrounds or from sort of a small base of assets. Uh, It takes time. As you know, the power of compounding, if you can get that working in your favor, that's how you end up wealthy and independent. And then, you know, the whole whole podcast system, it seems like it's a self-selecting of hard working, sort of that type of personality, or they're grinding and grinding it. So it typically is the first generation wealth builder. Right. I've, I've had a very small minority where their parents, they had some real estate, they started from land, and now they're kind of picking up where they last left off or trying to take it to the next level. But as someone who's advised and understand, what are some concepts that we've kind of picked up along the way that people at home can kind of, as they make their way through the journey to the percent that they find? Well, I think one of the important things is that people who are successful saying 1% of people who are successful. They read a lot, they learn a lot, they think broadly, not only deeply about the things that they're good at, but they read broadly and meet a lot of people in wide experiences so that they get better and they progress. I think the people who get in trouble are sort of stay in one slot, either career-wise or otherwise, and it sort of levels off, competition comes in, and then, or you know, real estate assets depreciate, they need a lot of work, and they don't have the assets to keep them going. Uh, the people who continue to learn and get better and do more things tend to be really successful. I think there's a certain component of financial literacy that takes place. I just talked about the power of compounding before. That's one component. I think certainly in the 1%, one thing that people are concerned about are transferring values from their generation to the next generation. I think a lot of what happens when you get to a certain level of wealth is that you want the things that made you successful to happen for your kids. So a lot of the struggle that takes place many times is when people are worried about having trust fund kids or entitled kids or not having any sort of appreciation for what generated the wealth in the first place. So I spent a lot of time trying to educate people and helping them understand what those values are, making sure you know what those are, and trying to get people to transfer those values to the next generation and making sure that there's good communication between the generations so that when you're ready to transfer that wealth, or transfer that business, or transfer that real estate to the next generation, that there's a clear understanding amongst the next generation, especially if you have a lot of siblings, that there's context around the planning and there aren't hurt feelings, because when there are hurt feelings and there's conflict, that gets extremely expensive, and that's where it gets really difficult as it relates to expensive conflict. I was always frustrated by the numerous investing education programs out there who gouge their investors, charging them 
5,000, 10,000, 25, even $40,000. I don't know about you, but I thought it was completely wrong when they tricked people, actually had them call their credit card providers to get a credit line increase to pay for the program. Many of these people could not afford these expensive coaching options and should have used it as a down payment for their first investment. If someone only had 20 grand, they should use that to buy a rental to get started. Let me make one thing clear. Our mastermind is not for you if you're broke. It's a cost-effective way to mitigate mistakes when building your portfolio. People in this group are going to be a pre-selected population of professionals and high net worth individuals. You'll be a good in company. That is after you apply and get in at simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey. And yeah, if you're lonely and struggle to find motivated friends who want to do more than sit at their W-2 jobs, collecting a paycheck, then go home and watch Netflix all day because all they can afford is $8.99 a month on their digital entertainment budget, then this is a place for you too. Simplepassacashflow.com backslash journey to learn more. So I'm actually in the process of putting together my trust. Mm-hmm. We want kids, but we're putting in these mechanisms for at age 25 they get X amount of dollars at age 35, age 45 to get another chunk of money. Right. Again, it's just very rudimentary and they're just the hard set mechanisms. But what are some of the softer skills? Maybe is it great that you're trying to teach the sure. younger generation? Right. And how are, how are you as an advisor telling your clients that you transfer these types of skills? Well, one of the interesting things is getting that financial literacy, but at the very least, a sense of a common sense start really early. I think when you deal with issues as it relates to, let's say, an allowance, for instance, I think if you were to give a, a, a typical practice note that I do advise people is to say, if you're giving an allowance of, say, $5 to your kids, put in a mechanism where you take $2 back. What does that do? It, it creates an appreciation for taxes. And if you install that early on, there aren't supply surprises later on. And people get their first paycheck and say, what's this Tico score? I don't understand this. And wait, I said I was going to be making $100,000 and I'm only taking sixty. What is that? If you get that sort of installed early, that's an important feature. I think another really good feature as it relates to family decision-making is the idea that if you have a philanthropic, let's say you're giving $4 away and you have three kids, having each kid give away a dollar, first of all, from a data point perspective, you understand what's important but then on the fourth dollar, to have the kids decide together how to give that dollar away, that to me is a very powerful way to get kids working together, especially around issues of money, in a way that not only gets them thinking about money, but it gets them thinking about the things that are important to each other. And these little things, these very small dollars you can operate with on that front, add on to that the concept of a family vacation. If you have a family vacation fund, say it's $1,000, and you have the kids investing. They learn about stocks and bonds and investing and what happens if it goes up and what happens if it goes down. But if you also does, is it creates the idea of accountability, not only accountability amongst themselves, but accountability with other people, the parents. If you're committed to doing it, it teaches really good lessons about making decisions together about money issues that have an impact, but it's not impact that's so large that it could have an impact on the overall family wealth. So these are exercises done early on that I think are good little factoids that kind of help you develop the develop the data points that you understand your kids, your kids understand you, you're transferring the real wealth, especially real estate, to have an idea of what's going on. Like baby steps, so you think something gets out of Right. Well, and I think, too, as you just said, you're putting together trusts for your real estate. I think 
very good standard operating procedure is to review your estate plan around major plans and also a couple of other types of things. So I tend to break that down as to births, marriages, divorces, deaths, sales of businesses, inheritances, that type of thing. And then the final one is change of the tax law. And so we just had a major one comes election a year and a half ago, a little more than a year and a half ago. And so for people who haven't looked at their estate plans lately, there may be things in place that have been installed in the legal system that you might be able to take advantage of or that you should be worried about with your estate plan. So one thing I still do for the folks that are in the investment club is that, you know, I do free calls. Mostly, I just like to get to know people, get to know where their head's at. And, I, you know, I, I've gotten pretty good at this in about 15 minutes to get a sense of a person's personality, what their feelings are with money, and get a sense of, is, is this a generous person? Not to say that they're, you know, they're, they're a little stingy or not, that they're a bad person. Right. But it, it's just, it's interesting to get a sense of people's habits in terms of, are they a giver, are they a taker? In this case, they're always looking for that deal, twenty percent off. Right. Just they think just always that generous. They just put it out in the world because they, they trust that it comes back. They came from that environment where they grew up in that. Mm-hmm. What are some ways, like you know, you mentioned, you know, even if the family decides to give to uh, charity cause, what are some other ways to kind of incite that without making the, the child just trust the kid, just knowing that there's always going to be money there and there's no. Uh, Right. Well, I guess it's a tough question because I think every family and every dynamic is a little bit different and dynamics change. You can start off at a certain level of wealth and have all this different planning that's happened and then all of a sudden your business explodes upward or downward and everything that you've kind of built around for the first 15 or 20 years that doesn't exist anymore. I think it really comes back to what I talked about before in some ways is to try to get a baseline of information about what's important to the kids as they grow up. Try to instill some sort of spirit of philanthropy is a, is a nice thing. It doesn't always take. But at the same time, try to understand what they are good and not good at. One area where I think a lot of complication exists is, say, you've got a couple of kids, and one of them is sort of an investment banker, really good at numbers, business-oriented, and so on. And the other one is very sort of philanthropic and joins the Peace Corps, does very valid things that aren't measured necessarily on a dollar basis. Right. And so, you know, I think I'm not a parent, but I've been around enough of them and had enough family situations where I look at it and say, okay, you know, there is value in each of those, even though it's not necessarily measured in dollar terms. And the, the art to good estate planning is to try to, I wouldn't say treat both kids equally within the estate plan, but to treat them equitably so that they understand why and how you're making the decisions that you're making. Plenty of estate plans for people give all their money away and say, you know what, I want everybody to start at home plate, not at third base. I want you to row their own boat and experience that. That's okay, too, to sort of demonstrate that and have that be a surprise to you. That's where the kids understand where you're coming from earlier on and you're having those exercises where you're all working together. There are fewer surprises later on and less of a chance. I would say the vast majority, 90% in the investor club are, maybe again, it's a self-selecting group that are Hungry or listen to podcasts, so they just listen to their jams and the Maserati or the Lexus or whatever. <laughs> but you know, they're in their Corollas or whatever you guys are, Camrys or whatever you guys are driving these days. But they're in this and they're they're coming from meager beginnings. So it's kind of neat seeing maybe about ten percent of the, the investor club members they they have wealth. Their parents have real estate. They get it, but they just want to take it to the next level. 
know, I want to grow this bigger so that I won't give it away as opposed to all my my super passive cash flow numbers thirty grand because I want to go on this for all this other shadow well, I would add on to that. There's a, a typical bromide that's out there, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And I think for the families that have the kind of wealth that they're passing on, maybe passing on to their grandkids, as you get more and more kids within the family, there's going to be less and less wealth support. The, the liabilities are growing geometrically while the assets may be growing linearly. So that you just the numbers just don't work out long term. So you're going to need entrepreneurs in the succeeding generations uh, to keep the assets going. So, so, so the assets have a chance of growing geometrically to keep to keep pace with the rest of the beneficiaries and the kids. So I think what you're talking about is great. Where, where you, there are people who want to take the business to the next level, that I find that to be inspiring and something that's, that's a value that's great to, to instill in people because that's ultimately how you keep the family fortune going and growing and surviving. Because there are a lot of different things that would are attacked. I mean, you also hear about sometimes they'll skip a generation because they know the kids will just be income. Maybe we, uh, you know, cross our fingers that the grandchildren will sort of pick it up. Right. Well, the, the scary part with that, though, is that I, I hear less about skipping generations than I do that you know, sort of the, the first generation makes the money, the second generation kind of holds it, sort of enjoys it, third generation really spends it because they become accustomed to all the trappings that have happened. The fourth generation is back to zero and has to start <laughs> over again. And so uh, what you're talking about, the skipping generation part, well, that'd be great. It's not great, but if they have a situation where the uh, second generation spent the money down and they realize that they have to you know, walk, you know, get things going and bring them back up again, that's a good one. But I think most people at the first generation would like to see sort of a smoother transition mm-hmm. and instill sort of a general family notion that entrepreneurism should be a big component of it that's how you have your family persist through time. Right. I mean, perfect example, I mean, from Hawaii, I would say about 10, 20% of my investors are from Hawaii. And it's very, just like you said, grandparents aged two generations above me, they had all this wealth because they saved their money very meager beginnings. They might invested in some real estate 50, 60 years ago. Now the generation before that, my parents' generation of baby boomers, they just held on to that wealth. They didn't know how to create it. Right. They pretty much lost it at negative 5, 10% a year. Mm-hmm. And then now it's our generation, the millennial, Gen X generation. Our parents didn't know what the heck they were doing. So how can they teach us what to do? Right. Grandparents are gone 5, 10 years. And a lot of times we still, like, you know, I see it all the time. Like that generational wealth gets passed on to my generation, a million, $2 million house. And then what do we do? Like, Build on the house and build a bigger one because if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't have a role model, you're right. the person to tell us what to do. Hey, Simple Passive Cash Flow listeners. I'm going to be heading out to Los Angeles on June 15th evening. Hope you guys can make it. I'm going to be uh, in on a uh, layover heading to Dothan, Alabama and Gulfport to check out a few deals there. Um, but I wanted to uh, invite you out. Uh, people who are in the mastermind the group coaching mastermind and shareholders who are investors in live deals get to come for free um, if you want to come and hang out with the cool kids and join the simple passive cash flow ecosystem with um, it's going to be a $20 charge um, just so we can kind of keep out the riffraff 
And um, I will also be doing a little bit of dynamic networking because a lot of people in my group tend to be introverts and um, just helps mix and mingle the group a little bit better. Think of it like speed dating, but for investors. <laughs> so I uh, hope to see all you guys out there and we'll see you guys later. Bye. One of the most important things that I try to tell clients and other people that are interested is the idea that if you can collect the stories from the grandparents the people who built the wealth and collect those stories and the, and the values that, that help create that before they die. Ultimately, when they die, that institutional knowledge goes away. And it's those stories, you know, how did we do it? What did we have to do? Where did the wealth come from? Why, why are we here where we are and able to enjoy these things? You give yourself a chance at, at transferring the values that help make that wealth in the first place. If it's gone, it's very difficult to recreate. You have to start reading more Buffett books and other types of things to try to pick other examples out to use in your own situation. So a lot of the, the, the listeners, they're maybe in their late 30s to early 50s at this point. They may have a few kids. One of them may be, they may have three kids. Two of them may just be um, you know, off in the abyss and whatever. One right. of them may be the uh, shining star in the group. What would you suggest for, do you pick one to be, hey, you're going to have to watch over your other brothers and sisters and teach it to you? The chosen one. Well, there's definitely issues of aptitude and sort of availability or interest to be able to do these types of things. And hopefully, if you've raised your kids right and followed their progress, you, you, you see who's good at what and who's interested in what, and you're able to figure out who can run the show if possible. And there may be a situation where no one can run the show and you need an outside group to do it, or if you have a business or real estate that doesn't have a natural successor to run, that you have to probably you may have to sell it because you know, people aren't in the place to be able to run it correctly or grow it or otherwise maintain it. It's going to end up going another way. Those are tough decisions. That's all part of sort of gathering the data points about what your family's about, who can do what, and who's interested. And then it gets into further complication because we have sort of the, what's called the human resource side of things, where we find out who's capable and available to do things. But then the other part is to make sure that everyone understands the whys, that the emotional component doesn't use things. In your example, the two people who are off doing other things, you've sort of done all the human resources component to figure out how to get the business transfer for each generation, who's going on it within the family. But the other two aren't part of that discussion, and they come back and say, well, wait a minute, we, we want to be a part of it. Say, so, well, you're not competent to do it, and you don't seem to be available. That may not matter. They may be actively sued or create conflict and all sorts of other issues. And that's, that's what you want to try to avoid. And that's why you want to try to build those relationships in that working together component as early as possible. Now you've got an inner sibling conflict. Right. And inner sibling conflict can be litigious and messy, but not much fun. And then you add on to the fact that they, they're all going to start so you have spouses and their kids. So even though they may come from the same place, their lives are going to be very different. And you can only plan so much for it. So you have to have a good line of communication early often and good experience in dealing with problems, hopefully small ones at the moment, so that when you get to the bigger ones, just the messier conflict, you have less of a chance of it. You have the ability to have adult discussions over things that require really adult supervision. Right. And I think you mentioned, I'll highlight what you mentioned, the why. And the why can't be, oh, I want to get financially free or I want to retire. Retirement's a little overrated if you just want to go play golf and you need to go figure out 
Right, but how, you know, you can live that, you can live that way, but how can you communicate that bigger why to your, to your offspring or down the you don't even have it yourself? It's, it's a big thing. I mean, I think so what I try to talk about in the book is when you transfer from one type of wealth to another, you've got to put some thought into not only how much do you cost, but, you know, what's your purpose going to be? And if you haven't thought about that ahead of time, you haven't designed your planning around you may end up having to unwind a lot of things as you figure things out, but that's a scary place to be too. Inexpensive and uncomplicated and creates more questions than answers and all of that stuff. A lot of forethought in trying to understand what you're going to do with yourself once you become successful. And if you indeed go down the road of retirement, I think the idea is then to say, okay, what do I want to do with myself with the resources and advantages I presented myself with? And that's, that's really the next step is to say, okay, once I've got that down, same garage on this, and it's something that I've looked at like this and really worried about is the lack of financial literacy early on. I, I tend to think that sort of a CFP, that type of curriculum taught somewhere in the high school level where people understand what stocks and bonds do, what the power of compounding is, what depreciation is, what happens when you borrow money, what is leverage, those types of things. That's important to know at the high school level because people are making multi-hundred thousand dollar decisions about expensive decisions and ultimately expensive mistakes and people just assume that you know the world's going to go on without them good shape leverage doesn't matter debt doesn't matter how i manage my finances and how do i save my retirement but that's all going to be taken care of that doesn't exist anymore so i think the, the earlier that that can be taught and i think high school the math theoretically should be at the right level i think that's important I'd go so far as to say things like the power of compounding should be taught as early as the fourth grade so that you understand what happens if you save and use time to your advantage or if you borrow and you use time at your disadvantage, that that has major implications. Those concepts, those concepts translate. I think that they, the earlier they get fed in, the more better decisions are to be made by a broader group of people. So, you guys listening at home, if you guys want to check out this, there we go. Well, actually, uh, hopefully it doesn't. We'll switch it, switch it around, yeah. right? Yeah, right. So you guys check out that book. You might get some good ideas. But what if that's not enough? What's the next step? Sure. It, I mean, at some point, a family they create. That's what family offices are for, right? To multi-million dollar estates. But what do you do when you're in this one to three and a half million dollar tuition? Well, I think the big thing is, and I talk about this in the book too, which is to sort of build a group of people around you that you can trust. Certainly for most people that you describe in that one to three and a half million space, they're in a very, they should have a pretty close relationship with their account. They probably have a, a relationship with a lawyer that they're either using to build their business or otherwise advise on different things. A financial advisor, uh, either at 
bank or a trust company or you know, a wirehouse or something like that. Many of them have the skills to talk about the things that they talk about as well. And it's important to have, I'd say, a component of all three to be able to sound these ideas out. And then finally, you know, I think reading, for instance, my book and other literature that's out there to try to get the, some philosophy behind what you're trying to do and, and, and some grounding into how to make intelligent decisions, you'll be a better client for that because you'll be going understanding what you want out of your wealth going forward so that you, know, you should try to get the advice that comes in from the, the economic side of things, the legal side of things, the accounting side of things. You're not going to go in there as a babe in the woods and say, look, you know, these are some of the things I'm thinking about and this is why I want to do it. You get the advice to work with you as opposed to kind of seeking it out. So it's not a Google search for family offices. Yeah, I, well, I mean, in a sense, what you're doing is building a family office. I think typically family offices, big, big ones, where you have an office that supports you individually, you have the wealth to support it, that kind of starts in the 100 million and up range. What you're building is sort of a multi-family office here. Right? You know, you've got your own group of people that you trust, that you feel good about, and whose advice you like, and they're there for helping you manage your affairs. I think also, just as a side note, small tangent, but uh, many times too, for the people who are sort of building their craft and their business and their family wealth, they use a set of advisors to grow the wealth. Sometimes it's important to get a younger set of advisors to the kids to feel good about the people that they're dealing with, and especially as you get older and retirement age. For the people who advised you, they're retiring too. So you may want to have some consistency as you get from generation to generation. Well said, well said. Thank you. But uh, again, you guys check out the book, Wealth Actually, um, Amazon, probably the best place to pick it up. Yep, absolutely. So I, so it's books on Amazon. There's wealthactually.com and FraserRice.com. Um, both of those, my podcast exists. And I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all the other major platforms. All right, guys. Thank you. Take it easy. Great. Thanks, Lane. Appreciate it. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners, I want to invite you to the uh, Simple Passive Cashflow Nation Mastermind and Wine Tour happening in June 30th in Seattle, Washington, or we might head out to Woodenville, we don't know. Uh, approximately meeting time around noonish to going to the evening, might even have a little dinner at the end after all the wine festivities are done. It's a good time to uh, meet other passive investors in the SBC ecosystem. I will be doing a little bit of dynamic networking just because people in this uh, tribe seem to be a little bit of introverts and uh, needs help mixing and mingling. Um, so I'll be kind of help facilitating that. We'll do a little few table topics about some chosen subjects that you guys can um, suggest. If you are a mastermind member in the group coaching, um, simplepassacashflow.com slash journey. If you haven't heard about that, it is free for you to attend. And also, if you are a current shareholder or a current investor in a Hui deal, that is free for you to attend. So it's going to be a very exclusive um, group of people, a lot of credit investors. And if you would like to join the group, it's going to be a $50 cover charge. And that helps us to keep out the riffraff who like the cheap, easy, and free stuff. Um, so if you guys are more interested in that, shoot me an email at lane at Simple Passive Cashflow and sign up here at the website, simplepassivecashflow.com. And you can pay on, right on the site securely via credit card. All right. If you guys have any questions, let me know and hope to see you in Seattle on June 30th. Bye.
This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.